Good morning, church. Let's be start with a word of prayer. Um, dear God, um, we are just so thankful that we um, have a father like you, that we have um, a God who loves us deeply and cares for us so much that um, he gives us all good gifts. And Lord, um, we're just so thankful that you have given us each a new heart, a heart that desires to hear your word, Lord, a heart that desires to come and be in the presence of your saints, that we come together and we assemble together, Lord, so that we can hear songs and sing songs of uh, words that glorify you, Lord, and we're so thankful that we can come and receive encouragement in that way, Lord. Uh, Just thank you that we have a place that we can come and uh, talk with one another and get to converse with one another and learn about what's going on in our lives that are are blessings, Lord, but things also that are uh, causing us trouble, Lord. And I just pray that each one of us can be a person who uh, we really invest in one another here and that we we shoulder people's burdens, Lord, but we also uh, rejoice with those who are rejoicing, Lord. And I just pray that today in the midst of our service, Lord, that each one of us Uh, that we can hear your word, Lord, and that we can feel your presence because, Lord, we know that you are here. We know that uh, you do not just leave us alone, that you have, uh, through your son primarily, you've entered this world and you've decided to take on our burdens. And, Lord, we're just so thankful for that. And I hope that this message today lifts you up. It gives you praise for you doing those great things for us, for you coming into the world and sending your son here so that he could... um, shoulder our burdens. He could bear our iniquities and take our sin, Lord. So thank you. Um, I just pray for everyone here that we each uh, have open hearts and open minds that we are able to receive your word today. And uh, with that message that that I hope you've been helping prepare for me, Lord, uh, that it challenges us, it comforts us, and encourages us, Lord, to be doers uh, of your word. So Lord, uh, it's for all these things that we pray. Amen. So, um, with me kind of the last month being here and then being gone a week and then being here and then gone a week, um, I just want to start with asking a question. What's new? You know, what's new? Um, with, with being gone and being back, it, it feels as if it's been a really long time since I've seen you guys. It's been two weeks, but it just feels like it's been a lot longer. And there was uh, pulling into the parking lot, just seeing, you know, Mike and Tammy's van out there. It just kind of, you know, just made me feel like I'm back, you know. It just was, I don't know, it's just a very warm feeling that I got. And just very, you know, it's nice to just be back around people who are excited, who come together each word, each week to hear God's word. And it was just a, a moment of encouragement for me. And so I ask again, since it feels like I've been away for a while, what's new? I actually hate that question. <laughs> I really, really hate that question because part of the reason why I was gone last week, well, the reason why I was gone last week is that I was in Iowa for a couple weddings. My wife, she had a cousin. She was had her wedding up in Iowa. And then I had a good friend of mine who he uh, was getting married to a girl. His name is Josh. Her name's Abby. And they were also getting married in Iowa. And just kind of a freak accident. We weren't really planning on going to the first wedding, but then when Josh had planned his wedding the same, like the day after in this town, about an hour away, we just kind of felt like it lined up, let's go. You know, it's kind of fun to knock two weddings out at the same time. And so, <clears throat> but when you go to weddings, one of the things, and you know, people you've known typically for a while, you're gonna run into people you know, 
one of the things that you'll get asked is, what's new? What's going on in your life? And like I said, I'm really, that question I just don't like that much because I kind of feel like it puts a lot of pressure on you. You kind of, you know, in, in one sense, I think there's either, there's two answers. Oh yeah, here's the new thing, or no, nothing's new. And in one sense, if, if you're going to say, yeah, there's something new going on, I always feel like I'm under pressure to sound really interesting. Like, oh yeah, there's a bunch of new stuff going on in my life, and yeah, here, here, and here. And then I feel like maybe if I say I've got all this new stuff coming on, maybe I'm going to sound kind of like I'm bragging, or I've got a really interesting life, when in reality my life is actually really boring. You know, I, I don't want to, you know, make it seem like I've got a lot going on. And some people, old news is, here, no, new news is good news. And so if you say, oh, nothing new is going on, life's just going the way it's going, that, that's the kind of thing that they're excited to hear, but they're kind of happy, oh, good, they're still, still on the straight and narrow, right? And so, obviously, these are things I think way too much about. Um, typically, it's, it's more, they, they just want to know how, how things are, how are you doing, but it's something that I think way too much about. I overthink things like a simple question, what's new? But our study of Luke's gospel today, because that's where we are, Luke chapter 5, still, we're going to finish Luke chapter 5, it's going to be verses 33 through 39. We are still in the early part of Jesus' earthly ministry. It's what's new. It's what's new to the area of Israel that Jesus is in. It's new to these Pharisees who have been uh, accustomed to doing, you know, faith and religion their way for generations now. And, and one thing is with this, these Pharisees, this new religion that Jesus is bringing to them, it, it's really, it's gone against the grain of what, how they've been doing things, how they think religion works. And see, that's because these Pharisees, as we've learned about, they believed that they were truly living out the law of Moses. They were, they were so concerned with living out this law that they built all these rules and they, they put a fence, a hedge around the law. They built more and more laws so that they would never, ever uh, break the law that Moses had received from God. But in this process, as we've seen Jesus point out now, they missed the point of true religion. They missed what God had actually called them to do and to be, which is doers of the word and lovers of people, to love one another. And because of their fumbling with the law of Moses, um, they once again find themselves in our text today at the opposite end of the conversation with Jesus. And if you guys remember from two weeks ago when we were in Luke, the last time we saw Jesus, he was, uh, a feast was being thrown for him by Levi. And Levi, we'd seen that he'd heard Christ, Christ had called to him, and he has forsaken all of his old life. He's left everything behind, and he's chosen to follow Jesus. And Jesus has apparently given him a new name, Matthew, the gospel writer that we have in the Bible. But if we also remember, this celebration, it was interrupted at the end by the Pharisees, who began speaking to Jesus' disciples. They were, they were questioning him. Luke 5, verse 30, it records the Pharisees asking this question. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And, and Jesus, he interrupts. He, he's going to answer the question for the, uh, for the disciples. He answers and he says, To those who are well, they have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, as we learned last time, Jesus has come for those who recognize they are in need. It's clear in Jesus' ministry uh, so far that the, ministry, that the Pharisees, they don't see themselves as sick. Why would they need a physician? See, the reason they do not see themselves sick or in need is because they're just doing the same old thing that they've been doing for, for generations and generations. 
And they see themselves as being the keepers of the true religion handed down to God, from God to Moses. They think it's their religion, their practices, their rituals, all the laws they've created that is keeping them in good, right relationship with Yahweh. They think that since they're the, the inheritance from Moses and Abraham, that they don't, they don't have to do anything other than what they've already been doing. So what's new in today's text? The answer is Jesus is what's new. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they're not about anything new. They want to keep doing their traditions. Their traditions are what is important to them. And they think, it's, they think it really is the way in which to garner God's favor. And that's why they bother to interrupt Levi's feast for Jesus. And that feast is again the setting of our text today. It's Luke chapter 5 verses 33 through 39. And this is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> and they said to him, to Jesus, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it onto an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But the new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, and no one, after drinking old wine, desires new. For he says... The old is good. See, in our text today, Jesus, he's, he's telling an important lesson. He's letting the Pharisees know uh, something very key to what he's offering. He's using some images and some parables, and he's, he's trying to tell his listeners, and I believe us today too, what God is offering. And that what God offers is vastly different than what the, the Pharisees can offer to people. Or what any person can offer you, or any relationship, or any religion can offer you. See, what God offers through Jesus, it's completely unique. It's special. Through Jesus, God is changing everything. And he's making all things new. And that's what he's trying to let us know. He's trying to paint these vignettes for us, these little images through the use of parables, to let us know what is new. And he does this using a wedding image. He does this through a couple parables, a parable of garments and a parable of wineskins. And I want us to take a quick look at each of these because I think each one of them teaches something about what Jesus offers, why he's come, what his ministry is for. And I think it tells us something about the old and the new. And the first that we see is this wedding image, verses 33 through 35. We see that uh, he's using, he's depicting his disciples as part of uh, their, their wedding guests. They're part of a special celebration. And verse 33 specifically tells us that um, these Pharisees, they've come to Jesus and they've said that John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, and the Pharisees and their disciples, they fast, but Jesus and his disciples, they don't fast. What's, what's, why, why don't they do that? I mean, they, this is a fair question to ask. We see in the Old Testament that uh, fasting is a practice. It's only commanded one time in the Old Testament, which is uh, Leviticus 16, chapter 16. It's the Day of Atonement. And so we see that it is an Old Testament command, and there are instances throughout uh, the Old Testament where we see you know, several different fasts taking place. 
And so it's a fair question for, for the Pharisees to ask why Jesus' disciples do not fast. See, the Pharisees, though, they're bringing up this lack of fasting by Jesus' disciples as a way to show that they think they're better, that they are more holy and more wise. And see, uh, fasting in the Old Testament is typically associated with mourning, with sorrow. There are, there are some occasions where people are fasting for charity, but oftentimes it usually is carrying this note of sorrow and mourning, and uh, oftentimes after someone's death. But see, the Pharisees, they're trying to claim that by their use of fasting, that they're better, they're holier, they're closer to God because of it. And they're looking down at Jesus and his disciples. And while fasting was an Old Testament practice, um, they see the Pharisees, like they do with the, most of the law, they take it and they, they really add some weird rules to it that aren't really in the scripture. One thing that um, scholars have you know, been able to understand and discover through studying the Pharisees is that they made fasting a twice a week process, something that they would do each Monday and each Thursday. And they fasted to mourn, you know, an Old Testament kind of falling in light of that. And it was to show them that they were making these great sacrifices. I'm sure you've heard this before, but, and we see it, we read it in scripture. But when they were fasting, the Pharisees would oftentimes kind of put like their time, like makeup on their face. They would make them look pale, make themselves look pale and wear their worst clothing. They would tear their clothing and uh, they would go out publicly and just wail about how, how much, how awful their life is. And they're doing this so that they can look like they've really sacrificed, like they've really, earned, like they've re- they're trying to make themselves seem humble. But in reality, it's them. It's like a humble brag. Have you ever heard that term, humble brag? It's they're saying, "I'm so worse off." Man, doesn't that make me holy? And so this is the kind of activity that we see uh, from the Pharisees, and you know that's why they're really wondering why doesn't Jesus' disciples do that? If he's this guy who knows the Old Testament so well, why does his disciples? Why aren't they fasting? And so. They, they ask this to Jesus, and this is how Jesus responds. He says in verse, verse 34, he says, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? See, we already said Jesus, he compares his disciples to those guests at a wedding. And this comparison is chock full of meaning for his listeners then and for us today. See, a newly married couple in uh, the ancient world, and especially in Israel, they weren't like us. We don't, you know, we get married and then we go on a honeymoon typically. Or if you're poor like me, you save up money so maybe one day you can enjoy a honeymoon. But, uh, but in their context, what they would do is they would stay home a week for a week-long open house. So the new couple would have friends and family come into their house and, you know, congratulate them, bring them gifts, treat them great. Um, there's even uh, some examples in uh, Israel where the newlyweds were they're treated so well they'd be wearing crowns, little faceted crowns they'd make for themselves. And so someone who attended these, uh, some of the people who would attend these weddings, they'd be given guest of honor type um, of, of a title. The guest of the bridegroom was their title. And these guests were allowed to actually ignore it and forego. If they were priests, they were allowed to forego the fasting uh, restrictions that were placed on them. Because at a moment of wedding, the joy is so much that how can you restrain yourself from celebrating? See, all guests of the bridegroom, they were relieved of their religious observances so that they could do what is meant to be done at a wedding, which is to celebrate. And as I already said, this past week I attended two weddings. And could, could you imagine the, the, I mean, when you show up to a wedding and after the ceremony, just 
everyone just leaving, being told like, oh, go on your own way. No, I mean, almost always a wedding ceremony is followed by a reception. And why is that? Why do people, why do we do these things? What do you usually do at a reception? Well, you eat and you drink and some people, they dance. And it's because we celebrate. And we are celebrating because we're commemorating a, a beautiful moment. We're, we're celebrating to be able to acknowledge that something great has taken place. And we've witnessed love in our presence. And that's why G, uh, Levi is throwing this party for Jesus in the first place, as we learned a couple weeks ago. And Jesus' disciples, they don't, they don't fast because they're in constant celebration. Because they are in the presence of their bridegroom, Jesus. When Jesus says, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? He's pointing out something absurd. Fasting at a wedding, it's preposterous. You would never see that. There are times where maybe uh, uh, newlyweds aren't able to maybe afford a meal, so they you know, give like snacks and stuff, hors d'oeuvres. But you would never see fasting taking place at a wedding. It's a celebration. A wedding justifies a celebration feast. And Jesus' presence, it justifies a celebration feast. And see, this presence, his presence, it's an occasion in which joy is the appropriate and the ultimate response. See, Revelation 21, the first four verses, it records the Apostle John in a vision he's seeing of a future coming wedding celebration. And John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear. From their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be no mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The former things have passed away. Jesus is saying that the old will be put away permanently, and that the new life is a life marked by Him wiping away our tears, Him giving us joy. There will be no death, and no pain, and no mourning, no crying. And this is what the new life has to promise us. This is what Jesus can promise those who are in the new life with him. And just like at a wedding feast, there will be no fasting. There will be, no, uh, there will be nothing but joy. Nothing but joy while our bridegroom is present. But Jesus does acknowledge that there will come a time where these disciples will fast. There will not always be joy. It says verse 35, The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. See, for the disciples, those days will be when Jesus is taken to the cross. And in the middle of Jesus' life and in his ministry, the bridegroom, he will be snatched, he will be taken away from them. And in those days, they will fast. And see, this is actually, in the story of what Luke is telling us, this is Jesus' own first reference to his death. And the disciples, they're celebrating now, and that's appropriate, because they're with the bridegroom. They are wedding guests. But later, when the bridegroom is taken away from them, they will fast. There will be sorrow. But, as we know, we've read the book, we know the end. Their sorrow, their sorrow will give way to joy. And it, the joy specifically of the resurrection. And we see this 
in John's Gospel, chapter 16, verses 19 through 22. It says, Jesus said to his disciples, A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me again. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy from you. See, knowing Christ, being a member of his wedding, being the groom to his bridegroom, and knowing him, it produces an everlasting joy. That's what this first image, this wedding image is meant to tell us. It's that Jesus, our bridegroom, is with the church. And because he is our bridegroom, our lives are a constant celebration. See, Judaism, the old religion that the Pharisees have got in their hyper-Judaism with all their new rules, and the way that they, they you know, deprive themselves more than what they need to of things like a fast, so that they think they can garner, they can get, they can obtain God's favor. But the new life in Christ, that he, the, the life that he promises, is that we delight in the abundance that God gives us. The love and the mercy and the grace that he's freely bestowed on us. And see, the Pharisees, they loved the old. They loved the, their traditions. And they rejected the new. And that's what Jesus wants us to understand, is that Judaism and the gospel, they don't, they don't add up. The old cannot be mixed with the new. And he goes on to try to tell us this in the form of a couple parables. First, this parable of the garments. Verse 36, it says, No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it onto an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. This actually is a really practical point to me, because I've, a long time in these pants, I had a hole in my pocket. But just this morning when I was getting out of the car, now look at this, look at this. What, what would happen, what do you think the best thing I could do here is? You think I should go buy a new pair of pants and cut the pocket out and then put the pocket on top of this? No, it would look ridiculous, right? I mean, it would look really stupid if I did that. They, I mean, I, you know, I imagine doing that, my wife just sitting there laughing at me trying to do something like that. But you, we hear this parable and we think, what in the world is Jesus talking about? Taking this patch and putting it on some, this old garment See, just like with this pocket, um, why, that wouldn't make, it doesn't seem like it would make any sense. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying what, there is no way of meshing this new message, my message that I'm telling you, to the Pharisees. There's no way to mesh this message with yours. Your whole philosophy, he's, Jesus is telling them, the Pharisees that their whole entire religious philosophy is that they can do certain things and gain God's favor. And Jesus is telling them no. You're not good enough. You cannot be good enough. You will never do enough. Only the works of someone on your behalf will be good enough. Because making a patch from a new garment for an old garment, he says it ruins both of them. The new shirt or the new pants, like the new pocket that I taken from the new pants, now there's just, you know, some random pair of slacks I own that have no pocket on them. And then this one would look really, really stupid. <laughs> it would just look really bad. See, in Matthew and Mark's Gospels, when they talk about this new patch, this, uh, they, they call it an unshrunk cloth. And that's because once a newly assembled patch is put onto an old garment and you wash it the first time, your, your old garment has already been washed through. It's already been expanded. It's already done its thing. But when you put a new patch onto an old garment, that new stitching that you've put through there is going to tear when it expands. It's going to tear the old garment even more. 
But even still, what is Jesus' point? He's saying that this new message, it cannot go together with the old. The pattern, it won't match. The texture, if I were to um, sew a new pocket on here, it would look funny. It would feel funny. Uh, The color, I mean, depending on if I didn't get the right color, none of it would match. And so the gospel, it cannot simply be added to our lives. It cannot be simply added to these Pharisees' life. It must consume their lives. See, pastor and Bible teacher John MacArthur, he actually makes a really excellent point on this parable. One thing I think is important for us to remember that the old garment is not the Old Testament. We need to remember that. It's not that Jesus is trying to say, get rid of the Old Testament. No, he would not. Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament. He's not trying to disregard it. But the old that Jesus is talking about, the old garment here, it is simply Judaism. It's their, it's their man-made religion. They, they can work their ways to God. and So that is what Jesus is trying to get rid of. What Jesus is saying is that times are changing. Jesus is trying to show the Pharisees that his message, the gospel, is a clean break from their religious practice. They, they are the old garment. And the gospel that is through faith in Jesus Christ alone, that is what makes people saved. It is the new See, the second image, this parable of the garments, it illustrates an idea that you and I, we, we can't do certain things to deserve God's favor, to merit God's grace. We can't do anything for him to, you know, to choose or to save. No, it is all on the acts and the works and the deeds of someone else, on his son, Jesus. That's how we experience the new life. That's how we experience our bridegroom. Let us now turn to this last parable that Jesus uses to help us learn about the new life that was offered to us in Christ. It's verses 37 and 38. It's the parable of the wineskins. It says, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But the new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. See, just like always when making wine, there's a fermenting process. And in ancient cultures, like Jesus's, what would happen is, you know, they'd crush the grapes, they'd take the juice, they'd put it into an animal skin, typically a goat skin, and they would sew up the goat skin, or whatever animal they're using. But one thing that happens when wine is sitting in that animal skin is that it's fermenting, and in that process, gas is being naturally released from the wine. And so that's why it's important for the skin to have some, some give to it, some elasticity, so it can... It, it can expand with the gas that's being released from the wine. Uh, just imagine a balloon being filled with helium, watching it kind of expand. And, and in the same way, uh, that's these wineskins, they're absolutely necessary. New wineskins are absolutely necessary in this process because old wineskins, they've already been pushed to their limit. If you, if you try to use an old wineskin to put new wine into, when that gas presses it, it's going to shatter and crack and spill. And the point that Jesus is making by bringing this up is the same point he's making with the garments. He's saying that you cannot put the gospel into Judaism. You can't put it into any religious system. The gospel of Jesus Christ cannot be mixed with Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses or Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, whatever else. Any other religion, all of them. Yes, all of these religions are all very different, but all of them share one thing. It is what people do to gain God's forgiveness or grace or mercy or favor. But Christianity takes that and it flips it on its head. 
The gospel, true Christianity, is not people doing things to make their way to heaven, to try to ascend up to heaven's gates. The gospel is Jesus bringing heaven to earth. We already read this, but I want to read it again because I want, that to, I want that to be something we take away here. Revelation 21, just the first three verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. John MacArthur, he again makes a very good insight on this parable. He says there is a dramatic difference between the gospel and any other religious system. The gospel is new wine, and it cannot be placed within the old skin. It cannot be placed within an old religion, because salvation is the gift of God to those who believe in the works and the deeds of Jesus Christ knowing that their own works and their own deeds will leave them lacking. The Pharisees, they they had acquired a taste for their old religion and their their rituals. And the living water that Jesus offers, it's unpalatable to them. They they don't want to taste it. They, They think it would be disgusting to them. They want to keep their old. And that's why Jesus tells us in verse 39, And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says... The old is good. See, I kind of think about this when I served at a restaurant. Um, you know, we, I, we would have regulars come in, and typically a regular, they, they get their same thing every time they come in. I'm a lot of that way, so when I go to a restaurant, I want to get the same thing. Change is bad. But as a server, you know, we'll have new items come in, and it's like we get told, to, let's push those new items, you know, like, let's make sure we offer the new items. And I just remember so many times, like, going to regulars who I knew they were. Nope, they're just going to get their 8-ounce sirloin. doesn't matter. I just remember going to them and feeling like, well, I have to ask them if they want the new thing. And so many times they'd be annoyed that, like, <laughs> you'd offer them something new. Like, no, no, I don't want that. You don't, no, you don't want the sirloin. Give me the sirloin. And so I just remember that, that, that being annoyed that we'd even ask. It's, I feel like it, it kind of, it's, it's kind of like the, the way the Pharisees are. This new offer to them, no. They don't want that. They want the old. We have no interest in the gospel, they say. We love the old. The old is good. And when people have spent their whole life in their mindset, this is one of the hardest things for Christians to overcome, I believe, that especially if you've come out of another faith, is that our, our works, the things we do, we can't earn God's favor. It's all a gift from God. And I think this is, it's a warning for us, too, because this parable, I think it's a warning for us, because I think oftentimes, or not oftentimes, but sometimes, Christians get in the trap of using our traditions to kind of gauge how you know, spiritual another person is or how much they know God. And so like the Pharisees, uh, the Pharisees who use fasting as a way to judge Jesus and his disciples, Christians, we can sometimes make a standard and believe that everyone who isn't doing that thing, that they are doing something wrong. And there are certain things that the Bible states clearly that Christians should and will do. We need to forgive others. We need to take the Lord's Supper. We need to uh, assemble with the saints and other things. But if we're not careful, we can let things the Bible doesn't say are necessary and let that determine how good of a Christian someone is. This parable of the wineskin, it tells us that Jesus produces an ever-expanding joy in the hearts of his believers. The new wine of life it cannot be restrained. 
by old, unyielding wineskins. And when we piece all these images, the wedding, the garments, the wineskins, when we piece all these images, the parables together, what we're seeing is Jesus telling the Pharisees about this new life, the new life that only he can offer. It's an offer from God that is extending not just to the Pharisees, though they don't want it, it's extending to people today. It's the presence of Christ, boundless joy, and a new life. Now, all we must do is realize that our old life is inadequate. It cannot save us. It's not sufficient. And we must accept that Jesus, as he is, is the presence of God. And the only way we can have relationship, right relationship with God, is through Christ, the bridegroom, a never-ending source of joy. And we've heard the Apostle John, we heard his description of the wedding feast that Christ and his believers will enjoy in the future in Revelation chapter 21. But now, as we oftentimes do, closing with a hymn, I want, or with a psalm, I want to read a psalm that depicts a psalmist and how he describes a one-day coming royal feast, a celebration, a wedding feast. It's Psalm 45, verses 10 through 17. It says, Listen, daughter, pay attention and consider. Forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. Bow down to him, for he is your lord. The daughter of Tyre, the wealthy people, will seek your favor with gifts. In her chamber, the royal daughter is all glorious, her clothing embroidered with gold. In colorful garments, she is led to the king. After her, the virgins, her companions, are brought to you. They are led in with gladness and rejoicing. They enter the king's palace. Your sons will succeed your ancestors. You will make them princes throughout the land. And I will cause your name to be remembered for all generations. Therefore, the peoples will praise you forever and ever. Lord, God, we just want to thank you today that you have made us in right relationship with you by sending your son. And Lord God, we're just so thankful that uh, you have brought your bridegroom, the bridegroom, uh, our bridegroom to this earth. Lord God, we just are so thankful that we have such a good companion in Christ, such a good uh, steward for us, someone who, um, when he comes into our lives, he changes us, and he gives us a joy that cannot be found in any place else, Lord. A joy that is not just found only in him, Lord, but a joy that is ever-expanding, that no matter the trial, the tribulation we face, Lord, we know that there is um, a well of living water that we can always go to and draw from, Lord. Because we know that while things on this planet and in our lives may not be right, Lord, we know that this planet is not all there is. We know that there is a life that is waiting to come, Lord. And we know that we are partakers in that life to come because you have given us new life while we still breathe on this planet. So, Lord God, uh, I just pray for those here, those of us who know you and have come to uh, be in right relationship with you, not because of anything that we have done, because there's nothing we could do to have done to deserve that, Lord. But we are here today because of the good and glorious gift you've given us in Jesus Christ, your Son. And Lord God, I just thank you for that gift. I hope that it's something that we reflect on today, but not just today, Lord, tomorrow and the rest of our lives. And so, oh Lord, just I want to pray for these people here that they've heard a message that elevates you, a message that 
encourages them that if they're facing something that you've not forgotten them because your joy in your son that you've given to us it lasts all eternity dear god we love you and it's in your son's name we pray amen